Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to thank all the fill-in hosts last week, and I want to thank... You, my audience, that I love so, so dearly. I'm so blessed. And I'm going to wait till hour three to talk about uh, Barney. If you're not a dog lover, you don't need to bother to listen. Uh, Because uh, we're just not going to connect up. But if you are, or an animal lover, I I want to talk to you in specific. But before we get to... To Barney, I want to talk about a number of other things as I've been watching what's going on. I uh, I am deeply concerned about this country. I'm deeply concerned if it's going to survive as a republic. I'm deeply concerned if we're going to survive as a free economy. And I'm deeply concerned if we're going to survive as a free and vital people. We've got a two-front war going on now. No, this isn't a monologue that I've written. Speaking off the top of my head, it's something I've been thinking about. We have a two-front war going on now. The Democrat Party is at war internally with the United States. And we're in a Cold War, and we've been in a Cold War with communist China. So we have a two-front war going on now. And part of the problem is even people who claim to be conservative, Republican, they do a good job of talking, but they really are not engaged. You know, uh, during this coronavirus, (coughs) up until... Uh, Barney passed away. Uh, We visited uh, three Civil War battlefield sites. Three. And we looked over the hills and we looked over the fields and we looked over the valleys. All those men who died. All those men who died in a single battle. The carnage was horrific. Horrific. Just horrific. When you look at Gettysburg. When you look at Bull Run. And the rest of it. Boy, I'll tell you right now. I don't think this country's capable of that right now. Not because we don't have heroes. We celebrated our fallen heroes yesterday. 
and we celebrate our heroes here every day is because I'm starting to wonder if we're outnumbered. And even if we're not outnumbered, it certainly looks to me like the radical left. They're not even radical left. These, these are autocrats, soft fascists, tyrants. Looks to me that they've conquered our culture and they've conquered elements that are very, very important to the sustainability of this republic. The Democrat Party has not always, but too often, been a very evil force in this country. I thought about it as we visited these battlefields. The Democrat Party was the party of slavery. The Democrat Party, if it had had its way, if it had won the Civil War, if the slave states had won, we'd be a very different nation. This isn't taught in school. But if the Republican Party were such a party, we'd never hear the end of it. The Republican Party, really effectively, its birth was 1856, give or take, was born as an anti-slavery party. And yet look how Republicans and conservatives today are talked about as racists, white supremacists. Why? Because we don't embrace a different tyranny, a new tyranny. A fascism. You can call it democratic socialism or whatever you want. We haven't changed. The Democrat Party has just changed its stripes. And the Democrat Party today is really a hollow political entity that has been hijacked in many respects by these autocrats, these soft fascists or worse. Again, call them what you want, democratic socialists, well, it doesn't matter to me. They never call themselves constitutionalists, have you noticed? They never call themselves little r republicans, have you noticed? Even in the worst of the Civil War, the worst of it, Abraham Lincoln revered the Declaration of Independence. He revered the Constitution. He didn't believe the country started in 1619. He believed the revolution started in 1776, slightly before, and he believed in our Constitution. The Democrats and their organs, whether it's the press, our schools, entertainment, whatever it is, they do not embrace the principles that Lincoln embraced. And Lincoln did more than any single human being then or since for African Americans and for this country and our government. He didn't abandon the Constitution. He didn't abandon the Declaration of Independence. He quoted them constantly. He quoted the Founding Fathers constantly. He didn't dismiss them as slaveholders. He understood who these men were. And he pointed to the Declaration and he said, this is what the Founders created. And they had to leave it to their progeny. 
to finish their work. Unfortunately, slavery is a common thread throughout human history, even today. But you can't point to another country on the face of the earth. They fought a civil war that affected every single household in that country. With massive casualties. You can't point to another country on the face of the earth that fought such a war, horrific battles, to end slavery and keep a free union. Not another country on the face of the earth. That's not taught in our schools either. Instead, 1619 is taught in our schools. We have a Democrat party. And by that I mean a media. It's not a free media. I wrote a whole book and it's not a free media. It's not a free press. It is an appendage of the Democrat party. It's an appendage of this ideology. This fascistic, autocratic mindset. You have a Democrat party... And its surrogates in the media, and its surrogates in government, and its surrogates in law schools and so forth, that just use the CIA, the FBI, the NSA in an attempt to thwart a candidate from the Republican Party, then to remove him from office, despite the vote despite the Electoral College, despite the Constitution. If that's not tyranny, I don't know what is. And they got aid and support by their propagandists in the so-called media. That's what fascists do, that's what communists do. That's what tyrants do, call them what you will. That's who they are. As documents come out demonstrating what took place at the FBI, what took place in the intelligence services, what took place in the precious Barack Obama Oval Office, they're not. In fact, they are on the attack constantly, smearing, character assassinating, destroying all integrity and morality along the way. All of it. This nation's in grave danger. When espionage, law-breaking at the highest levels, falsifying evidence, misleading courts, leaking feloniously, becomes common fare. This nation's in great danger. I truly believe this. You look at this coronavirus. You look how the Democrats have treated this. You look how their media propagandists have treated this. It's been a disgrace. And I want to continue. And I want to address that when we return. I'll be right back. in.
At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith, and their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion? All students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of the stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Now, when you have 20, 25% unemployment, that's a depression. When you have small businesses that have gone broke, many not to return, many, many, that's a depression. Does it feel like a depression to all of you? No, it doesn't. It only feels like a depression to some of you. And that's what makes this depression different than the last depression. Now, what am I talking about? The Democrats own the bureaucracy. They own the federal bureaucracy with few exceptions, but I'm talking about as an aggregate. They own the bureaucracy. They own big media. They own big Hollywood. They own big colleges and universities. The overwhelming majority of people associated with those institutions are largely unaffected directly by what's going on on Main Street in America. People who work with their hands, white collar, blue collar, union, non-union, they claim to stand for the little people. They don't. They don't stand for the little people. They stand for power. Pure and simple. Have there been any cuts in the federal bureaucracy? Well, there have been massive cuts in the private sector? Not one. Any departments or agencies or offices or divisions eliminated? Not one. Anybody fired? Not one. People lose uh, uh, bonuses or any cuts in salaries? Not once. They've immunized themselves. How about tenured college professors? Any of them fired? Not one that I'm aware of. And what else? I'll be blunt. People on the dole. Have we cut any welfare benefits? No. Have we cut any food stamp benefits? No. In fact, we're going to expand them to illegal aliens. People on the dole are largely unaffected. It's the hardworking people of this country in the private sector who are getting slammed. And I dare say a significant percentage of them, if not a majority, if not a a bigger than a, a significant majority, are not part of the Democrat Party constituency, which is why they continue their shutdowns in these blue states and demand that the federal government subsidize their constituency groups. It's that simple. It's that simple.
Now, those of you, I don't need to brag. I don't need to bring out quotes. I don't need to say I told you so. But the facts are, if you listen to this program, we knew this death rate that was being put out originally was bogus. Why? Because I followed the science. I followed the science. I followed Dr. Ioannidis at Stanford. I followed Dr. Ben David at Stanford. I followed Dr. Katz from Yale. I followed the science, not the models, not the propaganda, not the media sheep, the science, plus common sense. It never made sense to quarantine the American people. It never made sense. You quarantine the people at risk. Now, after the first two, three, four weeks, we knew which people were at risk. They told us. They told us. And I'm glad the protesters were out there. As you know, I encouraged them. As long as you're civil... Civil. And that the shutdown needed to end. You can't do this to a country. This wasn't the Black Plague. It was never going to be the Black Plague. The nursing homes. I told you on day one, after, after that wonderful caller, on the Cuomo Directive, President didn't direct Cuomo to put out that directive. Ron DeSantis in Florida didn't do it. Kemp in Georgia didn't do it. The vast majority of governors didn't order nursing homes to take corona-positive patients and put them in nursing homes. I can name half a dozen. The rest of them didn't do it. They didn't follow the science. I followed the science. We followed the science. And then the New York Times dares to have a cover page, front page on Sunday on Memorial Day. Thousand people, their names who died from the coronavirus. What was missing from that? China. We're going to have 100,000 deaths in this country, give or take, and more. They try to blame the President of the United States. Communist China killed 100,000 Americans. Putting aside the incompetence of Cuomo and Murphy and all the rest. Communist China killed 100,000 Americans. And we're not allowed to call it the China virus. How can a country survive with this kind of nonsense? I'll be right back. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. The liberals and the Republicans don't like him, but America does. You can call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. Let me take a little bit of a diversion and then I'll swing back because our media today you know debate on whether you should wear a mask or not wear a mask this is what the presidential press conferences have have condescended to and now there's a big debate over Joe Scarborough and and a staffer an intern and and these stories that have been out there did he have a role in it or not of course he didn't have a role in it of course he had nothing to do with it but that's not the point That's not the point. We have lived through a conspiracy theory for three damn years in this country that has torn this country apart, that has been nothing more than a pretext to try and take out a duly elected president of the United States with a dossier that was a lie. Everything was a lie. And the American people for three precious years had to put up with this. And one of the leading people in this character assassination of the President of the United States and his family was Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski, two of the leading people. And certainly not alone. And they've called him Hitler, and they've inferred that he's a neo-Nazi and a white supremacist and white privilege. They've said the worst things imaginable about this president, about us, his supporters, about his family, knowing them to be absolute lies. Lies! And I didn't see Twitter apologizing to the President of the United States or his family. No. I don't think the President believes it for a second. But he's giving Scarborough and Brzezinski a taste of what it's like to be called Adolf Hitler who killed 12 million human beings in the most horrific way, to be called Joseph Stalin, who killed twice as many human beings in a horrific way, to be called a white supremacist when you know he's not a white supremacist, to suggest he's a neo-Nazi when you know he's not a neo-Nazi, when you throw terms around like that and names around like that against the President of the United States, you're going to get kicked in the groin every now and then. Tough guy. I wish it didn't happen. But this is the way the Democrat Party plays. Ask Clarence Thomas. If Bob Bork was here, we would ask him. Ask anyone they disagree with. Ask Sarah Palin. Ask Brett Kavanaugh. Meanwhile, Joe Biden says one of the most racist things in modern history. Sounded like a former Democrat leader, Robert Byrd, former Klansman of West Virginia, sounded just like him. 
you don't vote for Biden, then you ain't black. So they wrangle over it for about a week or so, but that'll be okay because the man's accused of rape. But that's been dropped. Nobody can believe this Tara Reid. She's to be dismissed. She's accused of rape, and he makes an, an overtly racist comment. You don't have to infer anything or take it out of context. There it is, right in your face. May I say, black and white. Don't worry, though. Barack Obama vouches for him. Barack Obama, the anti-Semite. That's right, I said it. And I'll say it till I die. He vouches for him. That's okay. Oh, okay, then it's okay. Joe's a good guy. Now, back to this virus and the rest of it. A chunk of the country is not participating in the Depression. They've been protected by the Democrat Party. For the most part, they're constituent groups within the Democrat Party. Small businesses are getting killed. Blue state governors are almost... They're almost salivating at what they can do to other human beings. Because they know they're going to win. Even red state, excuse me, even blue state governors, a Republican like Hogan, his ratings are through the roof. As he's destroying the businesses in his state because they have so many bureaucrats in Maryland, he knows he's politically bulletproof. So destroying a state's economy, destroying civil liberties, in a big chunk of the country, is celebrated. And not just by the media, but by the population. By the population. This is why it's, you have to wonder how we can survive. I even hear this. The President of the United States boldly and correctly states churches are essential. Churches are essential. And if governors discriminate against or abuse these churches and synagogues and mosques, you get it, religion. I'm going to overrule them. Virtually, as far as I know, every single so-called news person and commentator said, what authority does he have for that? What authority does he have for that? Jonathan Turley. Good guy, I've never met him, but he's a smart guy. He says, it's federalism. It's federalism. It's not federalism. Look at the First Amendment in the federal constitution. Freedom of religion, the right to exercise your religion without being molested. It's in the federal Bill of Rights. It's in the federal First Amendment. And they say the president has no authority. Well, that's news to me. Let's say some governor said, you know what? This group of ethnic people, they can't vote. Now, wait a minute. That violates the Fifth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment. You can't say, oh, so the president does have authority. Isn't that interesting? 
The president is the head of a unitary executive. He has every authority to enforce the federal constitution. And the way he would do it is turn to the Department of Justice and have them investigate these governors and their activities. And the president is right. For Planned Parenthood to be open, for liquor stores to be open and churches to be shut is unacceptable. And isn't it amazing? Not one of these critics have said, what is the authority of the governor to do this? Well, it's an emergency power. Wait a minute. Emergency state powers don't trump the federal constitution. We have what's called the supremacy clause. Plus, we have what I think was called a civil war. But that's the nature of the Democrat Party. Principled when it wants to be principled, unprincipled bottom line. Ends justify the means. They'll throw around the word federalism for sanctuary cities, to force corona-positive patients into an old person's nursing home. Sure to kill people. That's my decision. I'm the governor. Although I notice Cuomo's now genuflect for the 15th time and says, no, 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 those were the guidelines from the Trump administration. See, that is a scumbag. As opposed to a leader in Florida, DeSantis. He didn't say, oh, Trump's guidelines are I have to shove people with coronavirus positive uh, uh, tests into nursing homes. He said the opposite. No, no, I've got to protect those people. But New York, that's what you want, that's what you get. 80% popularity, God bless you. The Democrat Party. Follow the science, they tell us. The scientists. I'm a scientist. I'm going to be a scientist. I'm a scientist. I follow the science. Well, what if the science isn't the science? That is, what if the the word isn't in front of science? What if they're still trying to figure things out? How do you follow the science? And then when you have some of the science, why don't they follow the science? The CDC, such as it is, has reported, as reported by others today, that the death rate for the coronavirus is 0.026%. And if you take people over 65 out of that equation, and people with maladies out of that equation, it's like one-tenth of one percent. And they kill the economy. God knows the suicide rate. God knows how many people who didn't go in when they felt a pain or an ache or were spinning up blood or whatever didn't go in. God knows their condition. God knows what the science will tell us the consequences of these decisions will be. We still don't know the full extent of the disaster to our healthcare system, but it's been a disaster.
Tell me, which major media organization criticizes Dr. Fauci? None. Not one. I was behind this microphone. I said, that death rate's ridiculous. Daily Beast, Huffington Post, ProPublica, ProPublica, they're all jump in. See that? He's denying the virus. He's denying the science. I didn't deny the virus. I didn't deny the science. This is the nature of the autocratic Democrat Party fascistic mentality. It's not about following the science. It's about following the leader, their leader. Look how silent the media has been about the violation of civil liberties in this country. Well, they talk about freedom of the press, which they've destroyed. Civil liberties. Look how they celebrate and root for the Democratic Party governors who continue to keep their boot on the throats of their economy and their citizens. And by the way, as the Civil War taught us, as Madison taught us, state citizens are also national citizens. They are. The effects on the people of this country, the effects of the people in this country as a result of the science, and it's not the science, it's certain scientists who've been in the government for half a century, and I don't think they've treated a patient in half a century either. We don't even know the level of the catastrophe and the calamity. All we know is it's Trump's fault. Trump did it. If only it had acted earlier instead of defending himself against an impeachment trial. If only he had done something sooner. If only he had stopped his fingers. If only he had nationalized... Imagine if the Democrats had been in control. Only nationalized private industry. If only he had only ordered a general to take charge of everything. These were their proposals. If he only spent another $3 trillion, if only Trump would listen to us, we'd have 100,000 more citizens who perished. Not as a result of the communist Chinese, not, can't say Chinese. Trump did it. It's Trump's fault. He was incompetent. He didn't act fast enough. Honestly, as I said here, I can't tell you anything differently that I would have done if I hadn't been President Trump with the advice he was getting from Fauci and Burks with an unprecedented virus, listening to the so-called experts in the federal government, listening to the task force, trying to take the right steps. Now, it's not China's fault. It's Trump's fault. I'll be right back. Mark in. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western Theological Tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Now, before we go to the next hour, I have a lot to say in that hour, too. Kaylee McEnany is the press secretary to the President of the United States. Honestly, she's incredibly impressive. And I think her approach to the media has been outstanding. I'll tell you why. And this isn't a criticism of, uh, of Chris Wallace, who harkens back to the days of Reagan when he was questioning Reagan with Sam Donaldson. The press has changed completely. The press has changed completely. And it's filled with unprofessional, kamikaze, Democrat Party leftists who have as their purpose to try and create drama and to undermine the president, not elicit information that's helpful to the American people. So there's no comparison. And under these circumstances, you need an individual who's smarter than most, who's quicker than most, who's more substantive than most, and who puts on the brass knuckles when dealing with that press room today. And no, Jonah, there's nothing disgusting about it. I can't figure you out, and I'm not even going to try because I don't much give a damn. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 381-3811. The Democrat Party is about what's in the best interest of the Democrat Party, not what's in the best interests of America. Imagine if their agenda became reality. Economic agenda, immigration agenda the attacks on the military, the attacks on law enforcement, their identity politics is the agenda, their treatment of the Constitution, populating the courts with like-minded radicals, our school systems, our legal system, our health care. Just imagine if everything they wanted became reality. Oh, our country would still exist, but America would cease to exist. A country doesn't disappear. A country is a country, but it wouldn't be America anymore. That's what we're up against. I mean, imagine if everything we wanted was instituted. Well, everything we believe in is quintessentially American. 
American principles, American fundamentals. We embrace our founding. They destroy it. We embrace our liberty. They destroy it. We embrace private property rights. They destroy it. We embrace economic choice. They destroy it. We embrace limited central government. They destroy the notion of limited central government. So imagine if their reality became our reality. America would cease to exist because they reject the fundamentals. They reject the principles. That's what we're up against. That's what this election's all about. I just want to reiterate something I said a few weeks ago. The media largely speak with one voice. How many questions have been asked these Democrat governors? If you don't open soon, what about all the human carnage that's going to take place? That's already taken place. You talk about the virus. What about heart disease and cancer and strokes and, and suicides and people, people you know, uh, uh, operations that you say are, uh, are not necessary for life and death reasons. They just go on and on and on. They're never asked this question. What about all the unemployment? Well, most of their constituent groups, it's irrelevant. That, I'm going to prove it to you. That is why when we have a phony government shutdown, as I've talked about before, we're 17%, Paul Ryan once told me this years ago, 17% of the government actually shuts down. People are placed on furlough knowing full well they're going to be paid, and they always are. Maybe an inconvenience. I'm sorry, that's the way it goes. Sometimes we're trying to save our economy. But they have nothing to fear like somebody who loses their business when a restaurant closes and all those people are unemployed. <clears throat> There's no backup. I don't care how many stimulus bills you pass. But listen to the concern for those people. Do you hear the same concern at the gyms that have to close and the restaurants? and all? No, you don't. You don't. Because the media is not about journalism. It's about the Democrat Party. What does the Democrat Party need? What does the Democrat Party want? The counterculture is now the culture. So it's an apocalypse. We've had 20 government shutdowns and really nothing's happened. But it's the apocalypse. We've had a shutdown now like the United States has never seen. Ever. Ever. And it's not the apocalypse. Almost 40 million people applied for unemployment insurance in the last 10 weeks. That's not the apocalypse. We only have 2 million people in the bureaucracy. Maybe 1.8 million too many, just saying, but who knows? The Democrats will use the CIA. They've demonstrated this now. The FBI, the NSA, the press, immigration, race, panic, the courts, whatever they have to use, they'll use. And you say, where you and I fear the concentration of power, they use the concentration of power. The more concentrated, the better. They can impose their will while pretending to be populists. 
They have to use espionage and lawlessness and false evidence and felonies. They'll do whatever they have to do. Because we just witnessed that. We just witnessed that. They're really hot to trot now on voting by mail. And notice, whatever the Democrat Party wants, the media regurgitates. So now that's the hot issue. Why? Because the Democrats say it's the hot issue. So that's now one of the myopic focuses. Vote by mail. Can you prove, Mark, can you prove, Mark, that that system can be corrupted? Now let's, let's just think about that a second. Let's just think about that a second. Can you prove that it can't be corrupted? Isn't it supposed to work the other way? That you need to make sure you have an ironclad system in place? So people who are voting legally aren't disenfranchised by fraud? It's not up to me to prove that a system can work. It's up to them to prove that it won't be penetrated by by fraud. It's not up to me. It's not my idea. But that's the way it works. Now, that's number one. Number two. Are you kidding me? I can think of a hundred ways that people would abuse voting by mail. President mentioned a couple off the top of his head. You just steal people's letters, ballots, whatever it is. Or you copy them. You copy them. Imagine what foreign governments could even do. But I see more than that. Let's say they send in a whole bunch of, I don't know how they're going to do this. Paper. Or you're supposed to vote on computer, whatever, in a nursing home where the poor people are abused relentlessly by Democrats. Poor people in these places. Or maybe you can sell your vote. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? It's so hard. You know, we just honored the men and women who've died defending this country yesterday. And I wish I'd been on the air yesterday to do it, but I wasn't. They put their lives on the line for our freedom. And I have to hear that people can't get off their fat asses and vote in person. That we need to make it as convenient for them as possible. Even to the extent where you can have massive voter fraud. You know, some elections are very close. A couple hundred votes. You look at presidential elections. The Wall Street Journal had a great piece the other day explaining how they ballot harvest in California and these other states where you have to wait a week, just keep counting, because things come in by mail and they're postmarked. Were they postmarked? Are they postmarked? What if they're not postmarked? All that crap again. I have a better idea. You want to vote? Then go vote. We want to see your face. We want to see your ID. We want to make sure you are who you say you are. And then vote. Vote for whomever you want. What do I care? Absentee ballot, of course. You're You're out of town. You drive a truck. You know, whatever it is, you're sick, need an absentee ballot, you're elderly, okay, guy, you get an absentee ballot, you don't have to show up. We've, we've, we know how this works, we've only done it for a couple hundred years, but now we have new ideas, and they're all coming from the Democrats. See, I don't trust a damn thing they propose, nothing. The reason they support open borders is because it helps them. 
The reason they want vote mail, voting by mail is because it helps them. The reason they want to spend $3 trillion is because most of it helps their states and their constituency groups. I told you the Democrat Party is at war with this country. The Democrat Party is like any autocratic party. The party comes first. The party comes first. That's why all this talk about fundamental transformation. Why? Because it empowers them. That's why. They can't tolerate that you're out there doing your own thing, not part of some massive social engineering scheme, where they can tell you, well, you better damn well wear a mask. You better wear a mask where we tell you to wear a mask, or we're going to drag your ass out of the ocean, and we're going to put you in, the, in, the j- in jail. Excuse me? I know how to, I, I mean, I, just tell me the guidelines. Often. No, you'll do what we tell you to do. And Planned Parenthood's going to be open. In fact, they're going to get $80 million in aid. They got $80 million. Because we all know killing a baby is a choice. Wearing a mask is not. Interestingly, they told us a few months ago, masks don't work, don't wear a mask. Masks don't work, don't wear a mask. Now you better damn well wear a mask. I told you, I have this letter. It's in my glove compartment. I'm going to take it out. When I'm in the mood, which I'm not right now, and I'm going to frame it. Where the United States federal government determined that I'm an essential employee. And that I was to carry that document with me in case I'm stopped. That scent chills up my spine. Chills up my spine. And I told you what, months ago, what do they mean essential, non-essential? What is it? The people earning minimum wage, putting food on our table, they're not essential. They're more essential than any damn governor I've ever met, I can tell you that. Now when we come back, I want to discuss this judge, Emmett Sullivan. I'm going to discuss what he's doing. And I want to discuss what I believe should be done. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Uh, 
just show you how uh, pathetic things have become. Joe Biden goes to a war memorial with his wife. They've been quarantined in the house together, what, two, three months? He goes out to the war memorial. Nobody's around but the Secret Service, who he's quarantined with. And he has this big black uh, mask, as does his wife, on his face. And um, it's ridiculous. There is no evidence that he is going to spread the virus. Remember, they tell us you're wearing the mask, really not for you, but for other people. Remember that one? Okay, so why is he wearing the mask? Is he going to spread it to his wife? Has he not kissed his wife in three months? I don't know. Do they stay six feet apart in their house? They sit in the same chair, sleep in the same bed? I don't know. But that's not even my point. My point is, do you think Churchill would wear a mask? Do you think Churchill would wear a mask? You think Thatcher would wear a mask under these circumstances? Trump doesn't wear a mask, and they're trying to beat him into submission. This is a big goal now of the Democrat Party media. Until they see him in public with a mask, they're just going to keep pestering him. Told you, it's the kamikaze media. It's Democrat Party. But Biden, he's all PC. He's got it all figured out. He's going to pick a woman VP, perhaps a woman of color. That all figured out. But never the merits when it comes to Biden, because he has no merits. He's a very dumb man, and he's always been a dumb man, even prior to his current condition. Just like the Democrat Party, he's a vessel for the autocrats and the increasingly fascistic elements within the Democrat Party. He's a vessel. You think of the great men in American history, presidents, generals, leaders generally. What is it about Trump, Trump, that they hate so much? What is it about Trump that they hate so much? Is it the way he talks? No. Is it his references to Scarborough? No, that's just the latest. Well, what is it? He's a leader. Not the kind of leader they want. But he's a leader. If he were ineffective, if he wasn't a leader, if he were John Tyler, you think they'd care? You think they'd give a damn? No. They'd wait him out. And then try and install their radical. But he's undoing what they've done. He's undoing what they've done. He's appointing constitutionalists to the court. He's securing the border. He's building up the United States military. If he was a go-along, get-along, they wouldn't be trying to destroy him. They'd be perfectly happy. If it was your typical rhino, 
but he's not. No, he's not your typical conservative either, I must confess. But so what? We need a leader right now to fight these people. Because the Democrat Party is at war with America. And Trump loves his country. If he wasn't a leader, they wouldn't care. They'll hang on his every syllable. Not Biden's, because he doesn't speak with syllables. They'll hang on every allegation. They'll promote slip and fall lawyers like Avenatti. They'll promote porn actresses. They'll promote corrupt lawyers. They'll promote false dossiers. They'll work with a corrupt FBI. They'll work with a corrupt CIA. They'll work with whoever they have to, whatever they have to. Why? Because he's not a threat? No, because he is a threat. All right, I'll get back to Judge Emmett Sullivan, who's another threat, in just a moment. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Luffin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. Now that uh, Rick Grinnell, the retiring acting director of national intelligence, has declassified the transcripts of the calls between uh, General Flynn and former Russian ambassador Kislyak, I think Adam Schiff should release uh, all the transcripts and information he has about his so-called whistleblower, don't you, Mr. Producer? It's fair as fair. Of course, it won't happen. And on this program tomorrow, in the first hour, we will have Rick Grinnell, a wonderful man on this program. Our little backbenchers are running, try and get him. I don't think that'll work, but it doesn't matter to me. He'll be on this program in the first hour uh, he's not only a patriot, he's a very courageous man. <clears throat> and we'll get into that tomorrow. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated you never use it. And by the way, I think that's true of like about legal documents, wills, and trusts, and all the rest. You know, if you don't understand it, and then you pass away, and then it's left to your kids and your other family to figure it out. Well, the same thing with home security. It's exactly the type of security system Simply Safe spent a decade fighting against. Complex, complicated systems. They believe that simple is safer. It's exactly why Simply Safe is the home security for right now, when feeling safe at home has never been more important. Simply Safe is designed to was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24/7. 
Order online with the click of a button, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in. Your home is protected around the clock. It really is that simple. No technician or salesperson has to come and disrupt your house. No drilling, no wires, none of that stuff. So head to simplysafemark.com and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafemark.com to make sure they know that I sent you. Simplysafemark.com. Well, I'm looking forward to see a dentist again one day. Looking forward to get uh, my eyes checked because I can barely see out of my left eye right now. It'd be nice if I had new glasses. Uh, But I live under the iron fist of another clown who was at the shore during Memorial Day without a mask taking selfies. See, they're all hypocrites. It's like that fat slob in Illinois. His wife flies down to Florida or they go over to Kentucky where his horse is. You know, the guy that owns all those hotels. One life for him, one life for others. There's Murphy at the beach without a mask. By the way, virus or no virus, a lot of these governors ought to be wearing masks at a minimum. Maybe a bag over the head would even be better. You have the fool in Michigan where her husband uses his wife's name to try and jump the line. Oh, it was a joke, don't you know? None of them want to live the way they tell us to live. None of these people you see on TV want to live the way they tell you to live. None of them. None of them. Schumer and Pelosi don't want to live the way they tell you to live. AOC doesn't want to live the way she tells you to live. It's a dangerous racket. Judge Emmett Sullivan's been on the federal bench, I believe, since 1994. He was appointed by Clinton. He had prior posts appointed by that the district courts, uh, not federal courts, that uh, was appointed by Reagan to a judgeship, appointed by George H.W., then appointed by Clinton. But he's a liberal, and he's an arrogant SOB. He's an arrogant SOB. And apparently he's not that smart either. First thing he does is something he said he'd never do, that his own circuit said you're not supposed to do, that the Supreme Court said you're not supposed to do the week before, which is solicit amicus curi briefs, that is, friend of the court briefs, in a criminal case. Now, why wouldn't you do that in a criminal case? But you can in a civil case. Anybody know? Raise your hand. All of us know. Criminal cases are matters of freedom and life and death in some cases. There's a whole different system. There's a criminal code, rules of criminal uh, uh, procedure. You have certain rights that kick in. You're innocent until proven guilty, as an example. A jury of your peers. You have rights. It's supposed to be a, a process. The purpose of which is to try and get to the truth. And these rules are in place to protect the defendant. Not the prosecutor. Because the prosecutor's got all the resources and personnel he or she needs. The defendant is a citizen in the system. 
We know this because that's what the framers told us. That's what they experienced. Why do we have lifetime appointed judges? To ensure what? That they're not partisan. They're not ideological. They're not political. That they have as their entire purpose to uphold the rule of law and apply the facts to the law. Period. Nothing else. Particularly a trial judge. Where are these federal district judges in the Constitution? They don't exist. What? How about the appellate courts? They're not in the Constitution. The only court that's in the Constitution is the Supreme Court. You notice the Chief Justice isn't called the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. He's called the Chief Justice of the United States. So Congress creates these courts at the earliest times they did, with the various Judiciary Acts and so forth and so on. So you have a lifetime appointment. Why? Well, Montesquieu tells us, but so do many others. To ensure as best as you can the pureness of the process, the impartiality of the process, especially in a criminal matter. Now, it can't be perfect. But what we have in Judge Emmett Sullivan's courtroom isn't a matter of imperfection. It's a matter of a disaster created by the judge, not by the parties, not by the government, by the judge, the lifetime appointed judge, the referee, has decided to take a side. And other leftists, some former judges, some former prosecutors, agree that we should destroy the whole idea of our judicial system to get Lieutenant General Flynn Because getting Flynn is getting Trump. What I tell you about the Democrat Party. Democrat Party cares about the Democrat Party. Much like the Communist Party cares about the Communist Party. The party comes first. But he goes a step further. Rather than just trolling for briefs. In a criminal case. Can you imagine being a defendant? Imagine yourself being a defendant. Maybe it's a tax case, whatever it is. You're accused. You have a trial. And the judge says, you know what? I want to have outside parties who have had nothing to do with the trial, nothing to do with the evidence, nothing to do with the process. I want their opinion on a matter of law. What? You're the judge. That's supposed to be you. And have your clerks do the research. No, no. And in fact, I like this former Clinton-appointed left-wing kook judge, Gleason, who wrote a piece with two others in the Washington Post, an op-ed, in which he's telling me, oh man, you can't do this. You got all kinds of power. The mere fact, as a ministerial matter, that this case is in your courtroom means you control it. You can't give it up. Just because the parties don't want to pursue it anymore... That's your courtroom, Judge. And you're the boss. And if you think you, the judge, have been done an injustice because the Department of Justice has decided that it must not go forward with this case, 
given the violations of Brady, that is a Supreme Court case in which the government is supposed to reveal to the defendant any uh, exculpatory information, which would include, of course, these FBI documents. You have a new attorney general who's looked at this, holy crap, this is corrupt. Pull back. The judge says, no. I want to sentence him. You can't stop me from sentencing him. Otherwise, why would Emmett Sullivan go through all this if he doesn't want to sentence Flint? Even more, he may want to hold him in contempt, criminal contempt. Because when he said he knew what he was talking about, he knew what he was thinking, and he signed that agreement with the federal government, to say now to the judge he didn't is a lie to the court. Well, of course, Flynn didn't have all these other documents, did he? They held a gun to his head. All of us who've been in and around a court, we understand this stuff. This judge lives in a courtroom. It's his courtroom. He knows what he's doing. Is a bastardization of the criminal justice system and the Constitution. But he doesn't care. So he reaches out to this clown Gleason. You know what? I like your op-ed. Why don't you in particular become an amici? That's what we call them, you know, amici. Or an amici, depending on where you're from. And I'm asking you in particular to file a brief to help me out. Help me out, please. That's what he really... I'm not smart enough. My clerks aren't smart enough. There's no case law that... Help me out. I need help. Please, help me. Sure, we'll help you out. So Flynn's lawyers are very smart. Plus they watch me on TV, I guess. And they file what is effectively a writ of mandamus, which is also, they include it in there, without calling it a writ of prohibition, but I am assured, a writ of prohibition. That number one, he doesn't have the jurisdiction to do this. And number two, the court above him, the circuit court, must order him order him to dismiss this case because he's way out of line. And by the way, Judge, you have by June 1st to answer... This judge has to answer to another court? Have you ever met? He's been on the bench 26 years. He's thinking to himself, wait a minute. I'm the small G God around here. What, what's this, a court above me going to tell me what to do? Yes, they just did. You know why? You know you're out of line, and they know you're out of line. That's why you're begging these friends of court, these, these other briefs, to try and give you some answers. To dig you out of your hole. So the judge, and you pay for his law clerks, by the way. And you pay his salary. He's decided, well, you know what? I'm not smart enough to do this on my own. Not only am I not smart enough to figure out how I can keep this case here in either whole fling and criminal contempt, but at least sentence him. I'm not smart enough to answer the circuit court panel. So what does he do? He hires. I don't know how he hires. By hook or by crook. Who's paying for this little girl? I don't know. She's $1,000 an hour. She's, she's that clown uh, Gregory's wife. Whatever happened to that guy? Who cares? Anyway, so he's hired a litigator, a criminal defense lawyer, to help him with the other judges. I've never seen anything like this. This isn't even Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey. At least there. They know what they're doing. Right? 
the elephants, the the jugglers, the clowns, it's all fair. This guy is in the middle of a three-ring circus that he created, and he looks like a, a, a fool. So what does he do now? I don't know. But the Department of Justice must act now. It must file a brief too. And it's got a lot of smart people in the Office of Legal Counsel. Attorney General used to run the Office of Legal Counsel. Very smart man. He's got a smart deputy. A very smart group over there. At the highest echelon. And they need to jump in. And when all this is done, Congress needs to take a look at this judge and what he's done. Because this judge is so out of control. He's done enormous damage to the judicial system. Not just his court, not just in D.C., but the judicial system. Enormous damage. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. You know, when life is in chaos, your home is your safe haven, your most valuable asset. Imagine losing your home to some online scammer. In an instant, you have no place to live, and your home, your security, your nest egg isn't yours anymore. The crime is called home title theft, and the FBI calls it one of the fastest growing crimes. That's why I urge you to get home title lock. The title to your home is online now, where thieves can find it and forge your signature on a quit-claim deed. Now it appears you sold your home. Then they'll borrow against your home and leave you with the payments. And no, your bank doesn't cover you, and neither does your insurance. The only way I know to avoid this nightmare is with Home Title Lock. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. And use code MARK for 30 free days of protection to help you through this crisis. That's code MARK at HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com, code MARK. I have an idea. I have an idea. I think those Democrats and leftists in the media, governors, uh, women who want to be the running mate of Joe Biden, Joe Biden himself, are all the leftists out there. You don't think we should open up? And I don't think you should eat. Mark, what are you talking about? I don't think you should eat. Who the hell do you think puts food in your face? Who the hell do you think does that? You think the trial lawyers do that? You think the National Education Association does that? These are hardworking Americans who do that. This isn't a game. Most of the people who live in these high-rise condominiums, in these major cities, who vote for their little dictators, they'd starve to death. They don't grow anything. They don't produce anything. They don't do anything. 
One other thing while I'm at it. Twitter now is going to put labels on what the president posts sometimes on Twitter. If you ever ever seen that, I, I have an idea. Why don't we conservatives put our own labels on Twitter every time we post on Twitter? What do you think about that, Mr. Producer? Even though we're posting on Twitter, Twitter is a left-wing enterprise or something like that. What are they going to do, ban all of us? I think we need to rise up, you know, internet speaking, and give it a shot. All right, I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know... The, uh, the Trump administration and the uh, Netanyahu administration, in other words, the United States and Israel, entered into an agreement, a peace agreement, which was heralded. I attended the event at the White House. I was very, very proud. It was a brilliant plan, actually. It still is. Now, those of you who listen to this program, I'm going to get to Barney, I promise. I need to get to him more than you do, believe me. I just want to touch on this in the first segment. This word annexation, that the Israelis would annex the Jordan Valley and relatively small parts, quite frankly, of Judea and Samaria, where they have about a half a million of their citizens living. They call them settlers. How can you be a settler in your own land? It's like calling Native Americans on these atrocious reservations settlers. They're not settlers. They're the natives to the land. Well, the Jews are the natives to Judea and Samaria. Now, the plan's actually quite brilliant. I'm not going to get into the weeds, because it's unnecessary. But the Palestinians, first you have the Palestinian Authority, which is run by one terrorist, and then Hamas, which is run by another terrorist. And uh, basically, the Israelis kind of protect, even though I'll never admit it, Abbas and the Palestinian Authority from Hamas. The Israelis also protect the king of Jordan. Because Jordan's 60% Palestinian. 
So the Israelis are protecting their enemies in the case of the Palestinian Authority. Abbas from being knocked off by Hamas, who's backed by Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood and all the rest of it, Hamas. And they're protecting Jordan in a security agreement because it's a relatively weak government. Now, we've reached a point, apparently, where the Jews are not allowed to recognize even parts of their homeland, where half a million of them live, as their homeland. Because it belongs, we're told, to the Palestinians. Now, who are the Palestinians? Well, I checked my Bible. There are no Palestinians. I checked my Bible. They're Jews. Who are these Palestinians? Well, the name is completely fictitious. Pretty smart, because they know how the New York Times and the Washington Post and the rest of the Western media will handle these things. Oh, they're the Palestinians, so they must be from Palestine. What really happened is, give or take, a hundred and some years ago, but not much longer, these Arab Bedouins were brought into these areas to do work. And they settled. Now, I can go into the long history. That's not my goal here. I've gone into this history many, many times. My problem now, I'm sorry to say this, but notice I'm not trying to sabotage the Trump administration. My problem now is with the Trump administration. Netanyahu is quite remarkable. They want to put him in prison. They wanted to defeat him. They bring up these bogus charges right before these elections. But he keeps winning. Why? Because the Israeli people want him as their prime minister. And they have a bizarre electoral system, which I won't bother you with. A bizarre coalition system, which I won't bother you with. It's a holdover from the old socialist Jews in Eastern Europe that founded Israel. But Netanyahu's not an old socialist Jew from Europe. He's an Israeli conservative Jew. And he just keeps winning elections. Well, like here in the United States, the so-called media over there and the opposition parties hate him. And now they want to put him in prison. Just imagine a whole bunch of Adam Schiff's. That's what he's up against. And yet now he's the prime minister in a coalition government where the opposition party has crumbled. A deal was made between the United States and Israel. I know I was there, I watched it. And so were hundreds of others. The Palestinians had to meet certain objective requirements. And the United States and Israel will provide the Palestinians with a pathway to their own state. And billions in economic aid. Abbas, who runs the Palestinian Authority, he's like a mobster. His family controls all the major businesses, all the foreign aid that comes in, they take money off the top. He keeps a whole bunch of his people there as refugees, so the New York Times reporters can come in and take pictures for the style section and put in it. Look what the Jews are doing to the refugees in Palestine. 
Meanwhile, if you look at Abbas and his family, they live like multimillionaires. Why? Because they are. They live in palaces. They live in estates. It's run like a mob. It's a, klepto- it's a kleptocracy. But so why should Israel have to just be frozen in place as a result of that? The reality on the ground is they have half a million people, the size of Baltimore, half a million people living in Judea and Samaria. They're ancient homeland. And they're not leaving. And so the president and his advisors came up with this brilliant plan, but now they put the brakes on it. The brakes are on it. Why? Because Jordan says, you know what, we're going to break our security agreement with Israel. Now, who gets hurt when they do that? The king won't last 50, year, uh, uh, 50, mo- uh, 50 weeks, I'm trying to say. He won't last a year. He's not breaking any deal with the Israelis. He needs them. What's Abbas going to do? Continue to kill Jews? Continue to give pensions to terrorists? Think he's going to give up his kleptocracy? Of course not. These are thugs, terrorists. So what's the problem here? I'll tell you what my position is on this. Influenced by no one or anything. Benjamin Netanyahu should move ahead. Not to annex territory. The right to return to their sovereign ancient homeland. The right to return to their sovereign ancient homeland. They're not annexing anything. Matter of fact, the so-called West Bank was annexed by Jordan. And they controlled it for 19 years. The Jews were there 3,500 years ago. Now in America, if some ethnic group had a claim to something that was that old, Everybody be falling in line, you know, we got, you know, we got, but this is different, you see, because for some reason we view Israel as a client state. Well, Mark, we do give the military aid. Let me tell you, they give us intelligence on awful lot of countries that I'm not even going to mention behind this microphone, because when I worked at the Department of Justice, I saw it with my own two eyes. But it's still $3 billion, $2 billion, whatever it is. That's nothing. For what we get in return. They take our equipment and they perfect it. And then they give us their proprietary control over and patents in this equipment. And give it to the United States military. But that's beside the point. That's beside the point. Starting next week, I'm going to continue to hit this and hit this and hit this over again. Why? Because the Democrat Party has made clear that they will not support the U.S.-Israel peace plan. Joe Biden has made clear that he won't support it. Joe Biden says it was a mistake to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Joe Biden is being advised by anti-Semites and Israel haters that come out of the Obama administration. Joe Biden is an empty vessel. 
And these radical leftists who turn to self-hating Jewish groups like J Street and other groups will control the agenda. And the ancient land of Israel will never return formally to Israel. So it's now or never. I'm not interested in all the geopolitical machinations on what we can do at the UN and all these other pipe dreams. I could care less. I could care less. Now is the time. Now is the time. And we're talking about a relatively small area. Still, the most significant parts of Judea and Samaria are not returned to the Jews in the Israeli government. So this is an area, if something's not done soon, where we just enforce the agreement. In other words, it's the peace plan. I was all for it. I actually had to be talked into it. I didn't think it went far enough. So, okay, 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 got it. Let's get these, these areas in there. <clears throat> they belong in there. Effectively, they're there already as a matter of reality on the ground. But now the opposition's growing in the Democrat Party, among some of the Arab states, among the European Union, Russia, others. And the more you wait, the more difficult this is going to become. So I would give friendly advice to the president who I love and to his administration. Stop the holdup. I don't care what Jordan has to say. They owe us. I don't care what Saudi Arabia has to say. What a bunch of losers they are. We still haven't gotten to the bottom of 9-11, but that's a whole other issue. Why do we care what the European Union has to say? Even the Brits got the hell out of there. Let's do what's right. What's right here. When Donald Trump eventually leaves office, pray to God after his second term. What do you think the Jordanians and the Saudis and all the rest of them are going to say about Donald Trump? Good riddance. What do you think the Israelis are going to say about Donald Trump? One of the greatest men in history who will be remembered in their homeland for a thousand years. When they're reading the scholars of today, a thousand years from now, they'll be reading about Donald Trump. But this is the biggest potential, not just success, but event that can be accomplished more than all the others by the president, by the prime minister. And by the way, nobody has my ear, and I don't take anybody else. I speak for myself. I want to make this abundantly clear. In fact, people probably now saying, please don't talk. Now, don't. I don't care. This is what I do. This is me. This is my microphone. For now. Enforce the peace plan now. Stop waiting 
for the opponents, the same opponents who opposed the move of the embassy to Jerusalem, the same opponents who opposed sovereignty over the Golan Heights. They're not going away, they're organizing because they see weakness, they see daylight, they see delay. It's time to act or the whole thing will come crumbling down. Israel is not a client state. It's a country. It's a country. And yet it still seeks American sign-off and okay to do what it's needing to do. Because it was an agreement it reached with the United States. Let's get this done. Let's bite the bullet. And I can tell you, I'm not going away. I'm like fingernails on the blackboard, those of us who are old enough to remember. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I just want to give you a heads up. I only have a few minutes here after the bottom of the hour. You know, uh, if you're a dog lover, even more broadly, if you're an animal lover, some people just don't get it. And I don't really care. I want to thank you, folks, for your forbearance. I want to thank you that when I posted that uh, Barney had passed away, 126,000 plus of you friended that post and over 40,000 of you commented. Uh, And I can't read over 40,000 comments, but I read a lot of them. And it was very helpful. I don't take the death of a dog very easily. Of course, I don't take the death of anybody very easily. But I got one text that was particularly remarkable from John and Sean Robleski. The Robleskis are gold star parents. They lost 
their beautiful son in Iraq to a sniper bullet, friendly fire. And their dear friends who've listened to this program a long time. And he texted me to see how I'm doing. These, this is, it, it, really unspeakable. There's so many magnificent people in this audience. So many magnificent people who follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I cannot thank you enough. And <clears throat> now I'm going to, uh, we'll, we'll take a little break and then I'll return. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. The champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now. 877-381-3811. You know, I wrote Rescuing Sprite. And I thought I could write a little essay or poem on Barney, but I only got halfway through. So let me read you what I wrote. Because that little dog you used to hear barking at the liberal deer... He passed away Sunday, May 17th, shockingly and suddenly. Like I say, if if you're really not into this, you can change the channel. It's been seven months since our precious Pepsi passed from a tragic accident at, of all places, the vet hospital, where he'd gone under duress. He wasn't a young boy, nearly 12 years of age, but he was to come home, come home fixed up and ready to play. But now gone from our lives was our magnificent Joy, who had been part of the family since he was a tiny puppy boy. Gone forever, never to return, never to cuddle, snuggle, bark, or run, never again. The house was now empty, the kids had left. In the depths of darkness I did descend. Weeping quietly, seemingly without end. As the weeks and then the months passed, I could function again, but function in constant sadness, as the dark clouds surrounding me would not end. It was seven months later since Pepsi had passed, the last weekend in November 2011, to be exact. My childhood friend Eric had lost his dog too. Eric was ready to adopt 
as he always is, and suggested we meet at Adoption Day at PetSmart, to which I agreed. The dogs were there, so many it seemed, innocent doggies who yearned to play free. There were puppies, seniors, large and small, white and black, and everything in between. Beautiful rescue dogs, all desperate to be seen. What have they gone through? I wondered to myself. What tragedies, horrors, and misfortunes had they endured? As a few minutes passed, there was Eric on the floor, cuddling with a little curly-haired one, about 20 pounds in weight, that's all. He was whitish-gray in color, creamy, I'd say, and thin with dark eyes, a bit sunken, by the way. And I couldn't finish the poem. But I'll tell you this. Others won't understand what we dog lovers feel. And we don't have to explain it. We don't have to defend ourselves to anybody. I got to looking in the adoption folder for my little Barney. His original name was Roscoe. He was 15 pounds. He was 5 pounds underweight, 25% of his weight. And on the adoption form in Stafford County, Virginia, a woman had turned him in because she said she had medical problems. He was about two years old. And she checked the statement of surrender, which reads, I certify that I own the above-described animal, and no person has a right of property. I hereby relinquish custody of said animal to the County of Stafford, Office of Animal Control, which may immediately dispose of it in a humane manner. This person had owned Barney for two years. He was even house-trained. Now, what happened was I went to this adoption event with Eric, and Eric fell in love with this dog. Lost Dog and Cat is the name of the no-kill shelter, and it's a magnificent place. This little dog had been there four and a half weeks. Nobody wanted him. He wasn't a purebred. He wasn't a big dog. He had a bare haircut. He looked scrawny. But as Eric would say, when he got down on the floor with him, he absorbed love. You know how some dogs are lovable, but some dogs really absorb it and then they exude it. And that was Barney. And Eric wanted to adopt him, and he called his wife. They had three dogs. He just adopted another one after he lost one, and she said, absolutely not. So I said to the founder of the group, Pam, I said, I'll pay for it. I contribute money to the group. I said, I'll pay for a nice haircut. He's got a lousy haircut. I think somebody will adopt him then. Then the next day I called her and I said, is he adopted? She said, no. I said, well, I, I would like him. I want him. And brought him home. And he ran into the house like he owned the place. I call him a jumper. He jumped on the sofa. 
he was so happy to be free after a month and a half. He was so happy to be at a home. It's as if he knew it, that I was his dad. December 4, 2011. Beautiful tale that went a thousand miles a second. Joyous, smile on his face. He would bark at you, heard at the deers and the squirrel and the people and the FedEx guy and the UPS guy. He was known in the neighborhood. He brought, the first year he was here and I was alone, he brought me so much joy. So much happiness. Extremely smart dog who could take in your emotions and your words. He had a special way of communicating with his dad. Special look. Tilt of the head. Always had a smile on his face. The kisses, the cuddles, the, the licking. He had the cutest little wiggle when he walked. Most beautiful ears. My wife Julie says it was like the flying nun. The wind would come, his ears would go out. Otherwise his ears would be down. He had a very unique and special personality. A couple of years in, uh, he jumped off the bed and he hurt his back. So I took him in. He had major surgery with a fantastic neurologist, surgeon. Jolie is her name. Jarbo. Just fantastic. Had a wonderful vet, Chris Hushin, who's watched after all our dogs. All of our dogs. And after major surgery, well, he couldn't jump on beds and sofas anymore, so I moved all the furniture around. So he wouldn't do that anymore. He'd sleep on the bed with us, and he had a new friend come into his life by the name of Marty. Marty's a mixed breed, too, about 50, 60 pounds. <clears throat> You can see the German Shepherd, you can see the hound dog in him. And Marty was a rescue dog, same place, lost dog and cat. Marty wasn't excited about that at the beginning, but they became fast friends. Marty uh, had another back issue in December. We were fearful he needed major surgery again. It might the last time we'd see him but the next day after some muscle relaxers and pain pills and everything else that Dr. Jarbo gave us he sprung up he started walking again like the slip this that slipped back but he still had a very bad back for a little dog so we had to keep him keep them both in an area big area but nonetheless he couldn't sleep on the bed anymore So, uh, <clears throat> a 
few days before he passed, he, he, he was having trouble going to the bathroom. He had some loose, but he had trouble. And then uh, he stopped eating hard food, and I just assumed it was his teeth. And then the uh, Saturday, March 16th, we went to another battlefield. Which one was it? I don't remember. What is it? Antietam. Antietam. And I got a call from my buddy Mike, who would walk him at noon when I was working, and he said he's not eating anything. So we came home. He ate a little bit of chicken. Then the next day... In the morning, I walked him. He was walking like nothing was wrong, briskly, no issues whatsoever, and he was not in bad shape. But he wouldn't eat. My wife Julie got on the floor with him, gave him some soft food off her finger. <clears throat> he needed to go out again. Again, he looked perfectly fine, and about 30 feet from the garage door, he sat down on the grass, nestled in, and couldn't get up. He tried, but he couldn't. And we realized we had a big problem. And six hours later, he was dead. He had something called hemangiosarcoma. Ever hear of that? I never heard of that. <clears throat> and I'm going to run out of time. It's probably good. And as I looked it up, a hospice vet wrote, as a pet hospice and emergency veterinarian, I've seen my share of devastating loss, but there's one cancer that often takes the cake. An insidious monster that appears from nowhere and leaves a wake of suffering for owners that is profound. A lightning bolt and rolling thunder that comes from nowhere on a day that was filled with blue skies only moments ago. Canine hemangiosarcoma has always been a dreaded word for me with its great ability to disguise and appear with little warning. This boogeyman is ruthless and tragic. The history is not uncommon. A wonderful sweet dog was bounding through the yard the day before. Maybe there had been a few days of being a bit of off with less energy or less vigorous appetite, and then without warning, collapse, pale gums, and panting. There's no time to mourn or process this tragedy for loving owners. In a moment, everything has changed. And suddenly a family's at the vet emergency clinic in the middle of the night. Well, for us, it was in the middle of the day. And we brought him into the vet. <coughs> around 10.30, because of the virus, we had to sit in the parking lot with her, with ourselves, and she called me on the phone, and she said, Mr. Levin, Barney has a tumor on his heart. It's cancerous. He's leaking liquid, including blood, in the sac around his heart, and it's squeezing the heart. He's got fluid in his abdomen, and it appears to have metastasized to his liver. I said, what? What? And she said, we're going to be a few hours. We're going to drain the liquid. So we couldn't. around 3.30 or so. 
that the time had come. There was nothing they could do.